0: Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Good morning. My name is David Cumbie. I'm the lead pastor here at Apostles. If you're visiting with us, I want to welcome you. Um, Well, I'm excited uh, this morning for a couple reasons. One, uh, we uh, just got back, uh, several of the guys in the room just got back from our men's retreat over the weekend, which was fantastic. There's still some men finishing up there, having worship there this morning, but it was just an awesome time of fellowship with other men in the church and an opportunity, really, just to consider and ask Jesus to teach us what it means to be men in him. And so I look forward to uh, some of those men having maybe an opportunity to share some of their experiences of God over the weekend, but just want to praise God for that. And then I'm also excited because we are starting our fall series. Uh, As Ryan mentioned, our fall series is called uh, Living Water for Thirsty People. Living water For Thirsty People, and this morning we're gonna kind of talk a little bit. I wanna kind of set the table or pour the glass, uh, you might say, that we're gonna drink from over the next six weeks uh, again and again, and as I was thinking and preparing and praying about this series for us, um, one of the things I just began to think through is just how desperately thirsty the world in which we live truly is, how desperately thirsty the world is around us. Uh, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. It won a number of Academy Awards uh, last year. Um, It's a very fascinating film about a middle-aged Chinese-American woman who essentially moves back and forth between all these different kind of parallel universes and alternate realities. And as she does, she experiences kind of multiple versions of what her life might be, back, might be like in the multiverse, you could say. Um, and so as she's kind of working through this endless realm of possibilities, one of the things that I think the film highlights, um, one of the things I think it's saying is that ultimately she's trying to figure out in her own life what is really real. What is really real? Not what are the endless, infinite possibilities of what my life could be or might be, but what is real in this life I am living? This film is is fascinating to me because I think it's one example of many in our kind of current cultural moment. Our modern fascination, in other words, with this idea of the multiverse, uh, I think it actually reveals a deep-seated anxiety that's, uh, that we all feel on some level about this world that we actually live in. And one of the deep questions that's driving that anxiety beneath the seeming chaos and fragmentation that I think we see in our society is this. What is real? What is real? And you see this kind of existential crisis being worked out in so many different realms of life, don't you? of what is real. Everything from kind of different educational theories that are bubbling up, uh, political misinformation, kind of that conversation. It's about what is, what is real, what is true. Uh, gender fluidity, climate science. All these things on some level are really tapping into this question of what is real. How do we know what is real? Uh, in David Bedill's book, um, the God Desire, which just came out. It's called The God Desire on Being a Reluctant Atheist. And he, in the book, what he's doing, it's kind of a, just a self-reflection of this deep wrestling that he has, this contradiction within himself, his belief that on the one hand, there is no God. He's convinced, and he's unapologetic about it. He's like, there is no God. And yet, he admits there's this inescapable desire deep within him for God to be real. And he's trying to work through that in, uh, in this book. And his desire, he says, for God is driven by his fear of facing death in a world that God, where God doesn't exist. That's really kind of the, the crux of the matter for him. And so as he's writing, what he, what he, he makes this uh, amazing comment. He says, in a world where God isn't real, he said, in a sense, the living are just the dead on holiday. Yeah, this is not a book you wanna read when you're having a bad day. but it's brutally honest from from his kind of worldview and i appreciate that but dill doesn't shy away from what atheism means right ultimately it it doesn't mean that there are infinite beautiful multiverses possible for us that's not where it it leads us it it leads us to this honest truth that if if reality can be anything then ultimately it's nothing And without God, our existence is ultimately meaningless. And as he says, being on holiday from death, is just acknowledging that it begins in oblivion and it ends in oblivion. And that's it. So more and more people in our culture are, whether they realize it or not, they're functioning out of this kind of belief system. More and more people are rejecting traditional understandings of God and religious institutions, and yet, uh, what philosopher Charles Taylor says is basically they remain haunted by a deep desire for something transcendent. I love that idea. They're haunted. A real world that has no God is ultimately an unsettling and unfulfilling world. And this is why, I think, so many people kind of describe themselves as uh, spiritual, right, this language of I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, you hear that a lot. And I think it's trying to articulate this, this dissonance they feel, this longing for something transcendent even as they deny the existence, ultimately, of a knowable God. And so what that means, I think, ultimately for us uh, is as we look out in the world, we have to acknowledge that that's the new reality we live in. Um, Julian Barnes kind of summed up this, uh, this with a confession that I think is, is, is beautifully poignant and heartbreaking. He said, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. That's where our friends and family often find themselves. That's where our neighbors and coworkers are finding themselves. And many um, of our friends, even church-going ones, are at heart skeptical about the realness of God and dubious about the ultimate true claims of Christianity, and yet they are desperately longing for this transcendent reality. And so in reflecting on this and thinking through the lens of John 4, in a way, I think they're like people in an infinite desert who are dying of thirst, but they're convinced at this point Any pool of water is just another sand-filled mirage. There's kind of this heartbreaking dynamic within our culture, dying of thirst and skeptical of any source of water. And so we want to talk about what does it mean that we as people who are following Christ have something to offer this world. And we do. The good news is, in this kind of existential desert is that we as followers of Jesus have found water or better yet, I think as we'll learn in John four, water's found us (laughs) living water. That's real and satisfying and beautiful and deep and will never leave us thirsty again. And so in the gospel of John, what we encounter here in John four is a woman who like our culture in many ways is thirsty for what is real and true and beautiful And at an ancient well, she encounters this living water in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we'll see over the next six weeks, her story really is our story. And her hope is really the hope of the world. And so church, we have good news for our family, for our friends, our neighbors. We get to tell thirsty people where to find living water. And this is at the heart of what we're gonna be talking about, which is really, if you had to put a name to it, the ministry of evangelism. It's the ministry of evangelism. So together, we wanna drink deep from the well of John 4 in the coming weeks, talk about this idea of evangelism. And I wanna do that by really looking at these two primary questions, I think that'll again kind of fill the glass for us that we can drink from over the coming weeks. And the two questions I wanna talk about this morning are what is evangelism, And then why do evangelism? Why evangelize? So what is evangelism? And then why evangelize? So first, what is evangelism? Uh, The word evangelism is derived from the Greek word euangelion, which is uh, basically defined as glad tidings, good or joyful news. And what's fascinating is that this word appears not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. Uh, In fact, if you look at the ancient poetry, the prophetic poetry of Isaiah 52, you find it there. And so I just want to point us to that real quick. Listen to this, uh, these beautiful words. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring euangelion, or good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And so in a way, what this is telling us, the whole arc of scripture that culminates in the good news of Jesus Christ is telling us that to evangelize someone is to good news them. (laughs) It's to gospel them. It's to help them understand who Jesus is and what he's done, that he is the perfect son of God sent to rescue us from sin and evil, from death and oblivion by his willing sacrifice on the cross and to restore us to real life by his glorious uh, resurrection and ascension. And so evangelism, the spirit of God in it, the spirit of God works in us to help us share the truth about who Jesus is in a way that reveals him to others. It's an idea captured beautifully in John chapter 20, verses 31, 30 and 31. He says this, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are signs, hear this, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. In other words, what John does through his written gospel, we are to do through our lives, our words, and our actions. That people might know this Jesus is the Christ, come to believe in him and have life. And that's evangelism. So if I had to put it in a sentence, I would say this, evangelism, is simply telling people about Jesus so that they might believe in him and have life in him. That's evangelism. So that's the answer to the first question, what is evangelism? The second question is this, why evangelize? Why do we evangelize? As with everything in life and ministry, it's critically important that we know why we do what we do. We just talked about that last week when we looked at the table. And we wanna wanna ask that every time we come to something uh, that God is asking us to do, why do this? And this is really important because wrongly motivated evangelism is harmful and can actually obscure Jesus. It can actually undo what we just said we want to do if we don't know why we are doing it. And so the why is so important. Why do evangelists? I think there's probably more than three reasons, but I came up with at least three reasons, and these are the reasons. The first is this, because of God's love for the lost. It starts with God's heart. God loves lost people. He loves lost people. I love our reading from Ezekiel 34, about God as uh, as a shepherd. It's this beautiful image. He declares, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. In the New Testament, Jesus' uh, love for us sounds off these same notes of compassion and justice. And Jesus reveals the same shepherding heart for the lost in Luke chapter 15, verse four, when he says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 behind and go into the open, in the open country and go after the one who is lost until he finds it. Same heart. It's the heart of John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. He sent the true shepherd. Why? To seek and to rescue the lost. And so it's Christ's love for the lost that drives him to relentlessly pursue and ultimately to die for us on the cross. And so as we follow Jesus, his heart for the lost becomes our heart for the lost. So that's the first reason we do evangelism, God's love for the lost. Second reason is our love for God. So at one time, all of us were lost. We were all lost. And Jesus sought after us. And he rescued us. He's rescued me from my sin and from my shame. He's delivered me from the powers and principalities that have ruled my heart. He has set me free and given me hope in this life beyond death. He has done that for each of us who know him as our Lord and our Savior. And I just wanna pause there. When was the last time, I felt convicted of this, when was the last time, I just thanked him for that. Just thank him that I was lost and now he's found me. I was dead, stuck in oblivion and he's raised me to new life with him and given me hope and a future. When was the last time you just stopped to thank God that he's rescued you because he loves you? He loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his life for you. When we grasp that reality, our response is faithful, loving obedience. And we grasp that our evangelism is driven by humility and not hubris. Jesus said, go make disciples. He said, you will be my witnesses. We tell others because Jesus sends us out to share the good news about him and we gratefully and joyfully take up that task because we love him. It's an expression of love to do evangelism. Third reason, our love for our neighbor so it's God's heart for the lost, it's our love for God, and then it's our love for neighbor. If we believe anything that we've just said, right, then it's easy to understand that telling others about Jesus is the most loving thing we could ever do for them. The most loving thing you could ever do for someone else in your life is to tell them about Jesus. I remember uh, hearing the story about uh, a well-known evangelist, some of you may know the name Michael Green, Uh, He was a British pastor, and he served for a while at, uh, at Holy Trinity, where I was before we moved to Texas. And I heard this story about him because he had a very public debate at UNC Chapel Hill with Bart Ehrman, another name some of you may know. And the thing that I heard about that was that in the middle of this debate, a student stood up and began screaming at Michael Green, saying, why can't you just shut your mouth and keep what you believe to yourself? Why do you have to keep talking about it? To which Michael, having much more composure than I would have, uh, responded simply, I only tell people about Jesus because it's such good news. He had to tell others. We have to tell others. How can we keep it to ourselves? How can we keep this Jesus just to ourselves? The most loving thing anyone has ever done for you in your life is tell you about Jesus. It's changed your life. And right now there are people all around you that you get to be that person for. How amazing is that? What a gift, I was thinking about this, what a gift it's gonna be that one day when this world has passed away and there's a new heavens and a new earth and we get to be with Jesus forever and there's no more pain and there's no more suffering and all this other junk has passed and we won't even remember it, that someone's gonna walk up to you, someone you may not even remember, someone you may never have even, never lodged in your brain that you had an impact on their life and yet they're gonna walk up to you and they're gonna say, I know him, Jesus, because of you. How amazing will that be? We evangelize because of God's heart for the lost, because of our love for God, and because of our love for neighbor. So we talked about what evangelism was, we talked about why evangelize. So I just wanna end quickly with just a little bit of a, a, a road map of where we're gonna go over the next six weeks living water for thirsty people, right? Here's the thing, evangelism has always been a part of our call as a church. This is not some new ministry we're trying to kick off. Um, Evangelism is a ministry, though, that can easily get crowded out in our personal lives and in the life of the church. And that's for good reason. It's because in a lot of ways, it is both difficult and daunting. I feel that, we all feel that. And so this fall, what we wanna ask the Holy Spirit is, come and help us take up this ministry afresh. Take up afresh the ministry of evangelism. And and here's our plan. We're gonna immerse ourselves. It's a simple plan. We're gonna immerse ourselves in John 4 with this simple prayer. Lord, teach us to evangelize. Lord, teach us how to tell others that they might know you and have life in you. And so we're gonna slow down and we're gonna drink slowly from this passage over six weeks. And my prayer is that it blesses us. And and I think there's two goals as I've thought about, I'm sorry, three goals as I've thought about this. Just quickly, one, that we would be captivated by Jesus. That as we look at John 4 and we look at Jesus here, that we'd be captivated again by him and our desire to live in loving, faithful obedience to God will be rekindled, that we would see Jesus and believe, as John 20 says. So be captivated by Jesus. Second, that we would gain God's heart for the lost, that God's heart for the lost would become our heart, moving us to pray with love and humility for our lost neighbors and eagerly take steps to share the good news of Jesus with them. And then three, that we would do that without any guilt and without any fear. Guilt-free, fear-free evangelism. God would free us from the feelings of guilt and inadequacy. Because we know that Christ is in us. And with, with him, we feel equipped and empowered to do this ministry of evangelism. So that's, that's the goals. That's where we're going. You, you have homework <clears throat> this week. And it's simply this, read John 4. Read John 4. I just encourage you, read it. If you can read it at least once, maybe read it twice. If you feel really crazy, read it three times this week. I hope you'll read it again and again and really immerse yourself in the story and let the Holy Spirit reveal Jesus to you. And maybe in reading it, give you one specific question. I'd like to just say, what does this encounter with the Samaritan woman reveal about Jesus and his love for you? So read it, ask that question. What does this passage reveal about Jesus and his love for me? So that's where we're going this fall. I invite you to join me in praying the Holy Spirit would work among us as we look at John 4, and I'd love just to pray us as we pray us into this season of, uh, of ministry and study together. So let's, let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we are thirsty people, and Lord, we, as the psalm says, we have tasted and seen that you are good, and we want more. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us this living water, more of this living water, more of you, Jesus. We were lost and now we are found and we say thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for the privilege it is to tell others about you. And Lord, I pray that you would send us out among the thirsty, that they might know you and believe in you and have life in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at ApostlesHouston.org.